This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Hey, what's up? Welcome into episode 78 of Small Talk. I'm your host, Michelle Smallman. Hope you're doing well. So we had Maddie Cerruti on the podcast two weeks ago and actually again last week for a surprise return engagement to speak to Booty Patrol. Still can't believe that happened. Amazing. Anyway, I heard from a lot of you that really enjoyed hearing from Maddie, getting to know her, my friend and Steve's wife because we reference her so much on the podcast. So thank you for all of the kind words on the Maddie pod. But now it's time to get the only review that actually matters on the subject. Not that yours doesn't, but I don't have any real-life implications if you didn't like that content, but I will from Steve, who is here now. Steve, what's up? How are you? I'm good. What's going on? I'm doing well. It's great to talk to you. It's been a while. But first of all, I'm assuming you listened to the podcast I did with Maddie, and I need to get your reaction to it. Yeah, I thought it was great. It wasn't as invasive like, I thought it was going to be worse. Not worse as far as, like, entertainment-wise. I thought it was going to be, like, more making fun of me, more like, oh, Steve sucks, this, this, and that. And <laughs> it wasn't. It was good. And so I'm sure there were questions that you didn't get to that may have been that way. Yes, but I correct. enjoyed it. I thought it was really funny. And, like, I've always said this, like, Maddie is genuinely funnier than I am. So she, I didn't have any doubts that she would be good on it, and she was. There were questions that I didn't use. We'll circle back to that in a <laughs> second. But I thought about how I wanted to approach it. And to your point, Maddie's hilarious, and she's a star in her own right. And I was like, you know, I don't want to make this all about Steve. I definitely want to highlight why Maddie is so great and your relationship together. But we got so many questions about you for her, and some of them I left out. Like, I think I mentioned it on the pod, but, like, what is the sexiest thing Steve does? I don't think we need to go there, right? We don't need to get into your deep, dark bedroom moments. Just being myself would be the answer, but um, no. Yeah, all <laughs> no, right. Like, all probably right. nothing is the real answer. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't. we don't need to do that. I thought the questions were good. I thought she was good. You know, like, like I said, it's funny. You guys, you know, have your, you know, you guys text probably more than I, than you and I do. Oh, which definitely. Is funny. So there's a lot of things about Maddie that you know that I might probably don't even know. And there are a lot of things that she can probably do a better job explaining than I could even about myself. So it was definitely well worth it. She did a great job. And honestly, she should probably do it again. Seriously. Next time I want to do a podcast with the three of us, kind of like a threes oh, company, you, me, and Dupree, <laughs> aka I'm Dupree. And I want to see how you guys interact when I'm throwing questions at the both of you. Okay. In real life, Maddie's probably going to be the more talkative one and she'll probably be the one that's better and funnier. So I, I'm, I'm all in, but I, I she, she might be taking my spot up with your ass. That's true. I might be like, mm, Steve, uh, guest spot once every six months. Great. Thanks. Yeah. We're going to we're gonna have to slide that back. We're going to have to tone it down a little bit. Well, I'm glad that you liked it because that was the ultimate goal is I hope Steve doesn't hate me after this. And I hope Steve and Maddie are still married, but it sounds like we're all one big happy family. Yeah, we're good. We're good. And we're getting ready for Valentine's Day, which I know we have to get into because I do think it is a controversial holiday. Well, why don't we just start there? It's on our list of things to talk about. And we need to talk about Valentine's Day because I am not anti-Valentine's Day, but I'm certainly not, oh, my God, my romantic life hinges on February 14th. But I was having a conversation with someone. We had... I don't know what you want to call it. We had a business opportunity that falls on Friday, February 14th. And the person messaged me back saying, hey, I can't commit to that day because we wanted to do something later in the afternoon because I have my first Valentine's Day date in many years and I have to go to it. And I thought, really? I understand maybe with a new relationship, it might be a day to kind of say, hey, this is a little bit more serious because we're celebrating Valentine's Day together. But I don't think I would ever judge the validity of my relationship, new or old, based on Valentine's Day. Wait, I'm confused. So this person has 
this is a new relationship or is it an old relationship? It's a new relationship. They've been okay. hanging out for a few months, and she was telling me that it's her first Valentine's Day date in many years. So okay. can yeah. I do a work thing that day because I have to go out with this person on Valentine's Day? I, that makes more sense because I feel like the the older you get and the longer you've been together, the less Valentine's Day actually matters in the relationship. I feel like the first Valentine's Day is like, you know, especially if it's really new, like this one, a couple months. I mean, that's uh, and I think it's also like the younger you are, too. I don't know. It depends. I feel like you go and you take Valentine's Day seriously if you're trying to impress this person. Right. Okay. And then, like, you know, Maddie and I have been married for a year plus together for many years. Like, I don't know. Both of us are just like, I don't know. You want to go out to dinner? That's fine. Yep. Both of us want to go out to dinner. So it ends up becoming just an excuse to have food at some point. But I do feel like, you know, if you're the new guy or the new girl, and I totally would understand why she wants to keep it open because, like, for your first Valentine's Day, it does probably mean more than any other one. And maybe that's right or wrong, and maybe you should be like, oh, you know, spark the love, and, you know, you should make this matter every year. But in the reality situation, it just doesn't. And I heard Chris Long talking about this, and he's so right, I think, on his show. Like, it's just such a bullshit made-up holiday. Yeah, and I don't think we're going to go through to you suck, like, you know, you're being so negative. But, like, it really is. That There's no significance to it. It's just like, all right, buy some Hallmark cards, you know, go out to dinner or whatever, and have an excuse to buy some chocolates and some flowers, which, by the way, we're recording this We're recording this on the day before Valentine's Day, so it's probably going to come out after Valentine's Day. I yeah, imagine, right? definitely next week. So <laughs> I don't do anything big. Like, we're going out to dinner tomorrow, you know, pick up some flowers, pick up a small gift, a card, and then that's really about it. I guess since this is dropping after Valentine's Day, you could reveal it. But in your mind, what's an appropriate gift if you've been together with someone? So, I mean, I'll just tell you what I got because it's, like I said, it's not going to be a surprise. I already have gotten it by the time this comes out. I got her, she wants a book light for reading in bed because I go to bed typically earlier than her now because I got to wake up earlier. So I always like turn off the light. So I got her a book light. I got her two dozen roses and I got her uh, a card. That's it. And then we're going to go out to dinner. So that's that's kind of our thing. So I think... I think sometimes it's like the smaller things. Like I don't think you need to be like extravagant. I know like in early on, I probably have done way more. I can't think of off the top of my head, but I'm all about the useful gift too. Like something that I actually need. Cause I remember like, you know, a couple months ago, we're talking about Christmas and or whatever you celebrate the holidays and this, this and that. And it's like, what do you need? And I'm like, I never, I feel like I never need anything. So when you could find something that they would genuinely use, even for 10 bucks, that would go way longer, you know, way further than like something extravagant that they're never going to use. Like I remember I bought a ton of clothes from the Gap, What's Up, in high school for one of my ex-girlfriends. Never wore, I mean, it's not that she wasn't appreciative of it, but she clearly like wasn't her style. I I had not found style yet either. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I just bought a bunch of stuff because I thought it looked cool and it was from the Gap because it was like 2003. And she never wore it. And it's like it was a total waste. And yes, I know the thought was there, but like shit like that doesn't matter. Are you the sneaky king of Valentine's Day? Because, I mean, you're telling me back in the day when you were younger, you bought a bunch of clothes from The Gap. I mean, that's a flex for the girl to be like, Steve got me clothes from The Gap when you're in middle school or high school. And then (laughs) I think as an adult, as a married person, to do the flowers, a sweet card, and then to say, hey, I pay attention to to you and your life. I think the book light is a perfect gift because it's something that is intimate between you two. It's a moment that only you guys would know. You know what I mean? And it's sweet and it's thoughtful. I think you are the king of Valentine's Day. No, here's what you got to do, because I've always said this. If you buy your girl or whoever, your guy, flowers or whatever, any gift on Valentine's Day, that's the bare minimum. That shouldn't be impressive. That's like, that's like I don't know, graduating from elementary school. Like, that's the bare minimum you could possibly do. So you shouldn't be celebrated for that. You, you know what I mean? Like, you right. should. What you need to do is you need to do things randomly. I mean, I know I'm not the first one to say this, but, like, if you buy flowers in the middle of April or if you buy flowers or something in the middle of the summer, if you buy, like, a, for example, a book light out of nowhere, that's 
what actually matters because then you're thinking about the per- then the person knows you're thinking about them not just when you now, I'm not trying to be that dude but like when society tells you that you have to think about someone you know what I mean so that to me is a way more power move I think you could find a small gift here and there flowers on Valentine's Day and it's all on fine because you have to do it because if you don't do it then it's a massive problem right like you can't just not participate in Valentine's Day because then you kind of feel like you're that asshole even if you think it's a stupid holiday if you don't buy something it's going to be a problem yeah in your situation People will say to Maddie, what did you and Steve do for Valentine's Day? What did he get you? <laughs> and if she's like, nothing, people are going to go, mm, trouble in paradise, trouble in exactly. paradise. And exactly. It Even could, if it's going to be a great relationship. Totally. And it could just be something where you guys are like, oh, we don't really care about celebrating. But then if you say to other people, we don't really do Valentine's Day. It's a corporate holiday. We refuse to you know, be a slave to the man in Hallmark. Then it's like, oh, okay, here we go. You know what I mean? It's yeah, just then you're easier like, oh, to participate. Cool, yeah. Exactly. Even though I do agree, like if you're one of those people that talks about that and like is defiant against it, then I'm like, okay, I don't want to hang out with you either. You seem super fun. Yeah, um, so sure. yeah, I, there's really like a no-win situation. I think you got to, at bare minimum, you got to do something. It can be something small, whatever, but I just don't take it very seriously. I don't. And then that's one of the reasons that we are, you know, Maddie and I are on the same page and obviously married because we just think about stuff like that the same way. So if your partner is out there and they are really needy and they're like had huge expectations for Valentine's Day and you know that you're a good dude and you care and you put in the work and you, you know, whatever, that's a red flag to me. People that care too much about Valentine's Day, that's a total red flag. So you're telling me my ex-boyfriend that filled my apartment with hundreds of long stem red roses, that was doing too much? Uh, yeah, that's like literally a doing too much all-star. I don't know. I feel like that's just going too far. Like, were you uncomfortable with that? I would be uncomfortable. I mean, he was a very elaborate gift giver, as you can tell. It took me off guard because I had never had anyone do anything like that for me before. And it was such a surprise. I walked into my place and it was ever, I mean, I'm talking bathroom, kitchen, just the entire place filled with red roses. Like and we're talking like straight out of a romantic comedy. That's straight out about. of a Kate Hudson, Matthew McConaughey yeah. film, for sure. Yeah. But then we yeah. went to this... How um, losing guy in 10 days. Except it was like how to keep Michelle on the hook for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> but then we went to like a great... This was our first Valentine's Day, like a great pop-up dinner and like a fun night after that. And I think he got me jewelry too. It was... Jesus quite the event now that I'm looking back on it. But yeah, I mean, again, first Valentine's Day, we were obviously getting serious, so it was certainly a statement moment, but he was the guy who would send me flowers on a Thursday, so. That's a cool move. I like, that's a better move to me. That's a way better move. The random flowers, random oh, yeah. gifts and things like that than like this extravagant Valentine's Day thing. That's I, way cooler. I totally agree, but I also think when you're the guy that does sweet things randomly, when an event comes up like Valentine's Day, you feel like you have to up the ante. Maybe, but Cause your I know you different. well enough to know that like that's not what you would care about and if they really nothing he didn't know you or whatever well enough but like if i did something crazy in like july maddie wouldn't be like oh my god he needs to up that because it's freaking valentine's day you know what i mean like, yeah. that would never go yeah. that's i think you have to find a person that kind of is just john i mean listen maybe there's somebody out there that's like no me and my significant other like, both love valentine's day and we go all out as long as you're on the same page, here's the, here's the deal, Beast, and this is the last thing I'll say about it. The whole point of it is, like, give each other your, you know, the other person's time, right? You're supposed to spend time with each other, so do something together. Do something that you both like. If you like sitting on the couch doing nothing in sweatpants watching Game of Thrones, that's a great Valentine's Day. If you guys, like, really want to get after it and hit up a city and just, like, you know, get hammered and come home and whatever, do your thing, that's also great. But make sure you're on the same page. Great advice from a happily married guy. There you go. Yeah, for me... It's probably going to be, oh, what? 
This is Valentine's Day? I forgot this was even existing. Okay, great. We got red wine on the couch. What's it called for people who – isn't there like a thing – for people who aren't in relationships, too, that they yes. celebrate. So um, we're taping this on February 13th. Today is essentially Valentine's Day where you're supposed to get together with your girls. Then it's Valentine's Day. And then the day after is National Side Piece Day. Oh, whatever. Now, can there be a dude's day where I could hang out by FIFA with my friends? Because that would be a great day. Steve, for you, that's like Wednesday. <laughs> no, it's been less and less recently. I'm pretty upset about it. This Sorry. I didn't mean to touch but, that uh, sensitive topic. Yeah, I need. Yeah, but I need, I need a dude's day. That's what we need. I think you do need a dude's day. So instead of Valentine's Day, it could be like guy Valentine's Day, even though it doesn't have the great ring to it. But imagine if you know the day after Valentine's Day is National Side Piece Day and your boo's like, hey, let's hang out on the 15th. You're like, yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> you know something's going on. You're like, no, no, no. What about the 14th? He's like, mm, busy work. Oh, busy. Yep, yeah, yep. super busy. Well, you know what's funny? For the first many years of my of Maddie and I's relationship, I was always, almost always away on Valentine's Day because we would go to the NBA. NBA also weekend's almost always Valentine's Day weekend. So I've been in New York. I've been in Toronto. I've been wherever and not with her, which is actually kind of funny. And yeah, but but again, I know that she's cool because she doesn't take you know that's not a huge deal to her, right? We'll just do something when I get back. So I've actually, and for anyone that knows me, my perfect Valentine's Day would be spending it at NBA All Star Weekend. Yeah, I was gonna say love and basketball. That's your ideal, exactly. <laughs> ideal yeah, Valentine's that's, Day. That's the that's the OG love story right there. Love and basketball is such a great movie. That is one of those movies that anytime it's on TBS or whatever, I have to stop what I'm doing and watch it. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time though. I probably haven't seen it in more than a decade easily. Oh, my God. It's such a classic. Monica was there all along. You know, these fast girls trying to send McCall notes and stuff. And she's like, mm, I'm just over here working on my game. And then they fall in love. Spoiler alert. Well, there's always like a, a statue of limitations on that. We're probably good at this point. Moses came name out Q? Yes. Yeah, I'm looking it up. McCall. Hold on. What was his first name? Damn it. Love and basketball. Yeah, I don't really I barely, Quincy. I barely remember. Quincy that. McCall. Quincy. There we go. And Monica, I remember. It was Monica. Monica Wright. Oh, yeah. Great movie. Great movie. bring people together. You know what the moral of that story is, and it applies to Valentine's Day, too? You do you, and the right person will come along. All right? Exactly. Exactly. You- Don't change for anybody. There you go. You hone your craft, and then you- <laughs> <laughs> the next thing you know, boom, you're in love with your childhood friend. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, moving on. So, Steve, I have not talked to you in a while, and I think based on the nature of this podcast, we need to give the people what they want. So, let's do a super delayed Super Bowl halftime review. Mm. J-Lo, Shakira, stripper poles, a lot of dancing. What are your thoughts? You know, it was a lot. I thought Shakira was better than J-Lo. Whoa. Yep. Definitely. I thought A-Rod was the funniest part of the entire thing. What else? I think the stripper pole thing, I just don't understand why people get so mad about that. I I don't, I didn't understand like the, oh my God, my children are watching thing. I don't know. I just, if your kid's already (laughs) taking a turn for the worst, it's probably not because of that. So I don't know. I I just didn't have a huge issue with it. I don't think it was as good as everybody else thought it was. It was definitely wild. It was the most wild one ever, but well, I guess maybe the, the second most wild after Justin Timberlake exposed Janet Jackson's boob. But other than that, it was <laughs> yeah. definitely it was it was definitely the second most wild one. But it was good. I'm a big Shakira person. Obviously Shakira is married to Brad TK who plays for Barcelona, so I've known about their deal for a long time. I'll say this, I don't feel like Shakira this is gonna be I'm gonna sound like a dick. I, her music mm, mm, 
Not great. Like, J-Lo's got better music. Totally. I would say, get right, banger. Absolute banger. 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 So that, I'm glad she played that. I don't, Waiting for tonight? I don't know if I love a lot. All, see, I don't like that kind of J-Lo. I guess I like the Ja Rule J-Lo as well. Now, remember, we saw Ja Rule. No, wait. We saw Ja Rule and Shanti. That's right. At that Super Bowl party, at the Barcelona Super Bowl party many years ago. Right. Which was funny. And that's the kind of, not, I know it's not J-Rule J- and Shanti, but the, J- Rule, uh, the Ja Rule and J-Lo stuff. That's the kind of J-Lo stuff I feel like I like the best. Mm-hmm. And then get right. You know, waiting for tonight, not my deal. But I will say, She Wolf, not really my deal either. But, I, but the spectacle itself, I thought was amazing. It was obviously insane. They're both defying the limits of aging. But I thought it was good. Overall, very good. Just, I don't understand the people that get so upset when they're like, oh my God, put the children. Nah, they're going to be all right. Settle down. Yeah, like stop clutching your pearls. No one has ever been in front of a judge getting convicted for a crime, being like, man, that Super Bowl halftime show is where my life went awry. Yeah, there are many other left turns that happened before that that were probably the reason that you're found didn't work turn out super great you know it's not going to be because j-lo and shakira were shaking their ass on triple bowls like that's just not going to be it for me i did see a meme though of a little boy staring at the tv and it was like that was the moment johnny became a man <laughs> yes exactly well maybe that's true but i don't know i don't it's not, it's not like johnny's gonna be firing off stuff text just because he's seeing that i don't know johnny may have got on his ipad and cracked the code and gone to google.com though and tried to image search <laughs> some stuff later that night but first of all i can't believe he thought shakira was better than jayla here are my thoughts i thought jayla's she... face is always so serious though like she always so because she is a performer ah, she i don't know i know she is definitely a performer she takes her craft seriously i mean to circle back to love and basketball J-Lo does her, she focuses on her craft, and then boom, A-Rod, love presents itself, okay? This is the moral of the story of this podcast. But here are my thoughts. I thought Shakira opened it killer. I mean, she is an unbelievable dancer, okay? And she still got her moves, and she still looks amazing. You're like, Shakira's in her 40s? She looks awesome, right? She's killing it. I thought her lip syncing was a little off, which always bothers me. And then I thought the Shakira portion with the gold shoes and where she was trying to essentially hip-hop dance i was like pass shakira just give me the the she wolf where whenever wherever hip movements that i want okay i don't need you to try and become a fly girl that i could have done without now j-lo j-lo comes in she's on top of the empire state building i'm like oh my god killing it mind blown already she looked amazing I understand the strip pole, the stripper pole, because it's an homage to hustlers. But J-Lo is one of the great dancers of our time, okay? She started out as a fly girl. She can dance with the best of them. So I was looking for more of a full-on dance routine from J-Lo. And I thought the stripper pole, okay, fine. But I just thought it was it went on a little too long. It was a little too much stripper pole for me. And not because I was okay. cl- clutching my pearls over it, but because I wanted to see more dance moves from J-Lo. That's fair. That's totally fair. But again, like the stripper pole stuff and all that is what's probably going to make it one of the most memorable ones ever. So if they had concentrated on the performance and the music more, I don't think people would have been talking about it as much. So like, you know, there's give and take there. I think that's a calculated move on their part to be like, we need to do something because that's what you need to do now. You need to, something has to be, there has to be the shock and awe factor, right? It can't just be good. It has to be like, oh my God, we have to talk about this on the news station the next day about whether or not, you know, it was appropriate. That's what moves the needle today. So that's why right. I think there was, a, there was a, definitely a conscious effort for them probably to be a little bit more controversial. And I actually applaud them for it. I thought that it, it worked. Yeah. What will get us trending? Exactly. Like if they just came out and sang and it was good and they were like really great musicians and whatever and we're just like okay that was good and then we probably move on there's no day two there's no like two days talking about it afterwards and asking people what their thoughts are you have to strike a chord with people and there has to be some sort of controversy for you to have staying power and they definitely nailed that
Oh, without a doubt. They certainly got the conversation going. So I do have one more criticism, and I'm interested to see where you fall in this conversation. So I feel like if you are at a stage in your career where you get to do the Super Bowl halftime show, that's your time, right? You can be on a Sherpa pole. You can do whatever you want. It's your performance. You have earned it, right? I thought it was cool that J-Lo brought her daughter up because, hey, that's my moment. I want to share it with my daughter. I just thought the whole thing seemed so forced. Here it is, this high octane. We're dancing. Stripper poles. You're flinging me around. We're shaking our asses. And then let's slow it down so that my daughter can have a moment. I hadn't thought about it that way. My initial thoughts on the daughter without knowing anything about her is that was this some sort of thing where, like, she, does she have an album dropping soon or is there some reason she was up there? Because I feel like that's probably it, right? I mean, like it's probably coming to, if it's not already. Yeah, like there's got to be some sort of business reason for that. I mean, I'm not saying that she doesn't love her daughter, but I feel like that was, again, a calculated plan to be like, oh, a lot of people didn't even know. Like, I had no idea. I didn't even think she, I mean, I don't know a ton about her, so I didn't know she had kids. I'm sure most people like me also did not. And, you know, I'm sure now all of a sudden it's like, oh, does she have a daughter? Does she have an album coming out? Is, 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 there's got to be something that goes, that, that my thought was there has to be something else that's going to go along with this because, as much as I want to believe in the whole Simone, she just wants to give her daughter some shine. I just feel like we should know better than that at this point. There's always got to be some sort of publicity angle to it, too. Now, it did feel a little bit weird to be like, yeah, like I'm shaking my ass, stripper pole, this, this, and that. And then, like, here's my daughter on the stage for this little weird thing. It definitely was out of left field and a little bit, not inappropriate in a way, but like it just seems like one thing doesn't belong with the other. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really have an issue with it because I feel like if you're Jayla's daughter, if you just Google your mom, there's going to be way racier shit out there than than the halftime light show. Like, I, I always think about that. Uh, like, okay, great example. You know how much I love Sarah Michelle Geller and Freddie Biggs Jr., right? Have you recently seen they have like a new campaign for some sort of like dishwashing detergent where the camp saying slogan is like, we do it every night, but they're like referring to their dishwasher, but not sex. But obviously it's heavily implied that it's sex. I'm like, what are their kids going to think when they watch this in a couple of years where their parents are just like joking about having sex every night? That must be awkward for the kids of famous people, especially famous couples to be like, oh, man, everyone is talking about, you know, how hot my parents are and what this, this and that. Like that must be uncomfortable. So I didn't think for her specifically, for J-Lo's daughter, I'm like, I don't know, she's probably seen some worse shit. Listen, everyone's different in the way they approach things. I've never Googled myself because I don't want to see what's out there. I don't want to see if people <laughs> are saying terrible things about me. I would rather live in an ignorant bubble and not know if people hate me or they're saying gross things things about me, right? So I kind of wonder if kids of famous people are the same way. I don't know if I'd want to Google my parents. I don't know if I would want to know. If my dad was an actor and he was like, hey, I want you to watch my movies. We could do that together. Great. But I don't know if I would be independently seeking out information about my parents and their marriage via Google. Well, all right, then I'll take it this way. Do you think, does Kate Winslet have kids? Do you think they watched the Titanic movie? Yeah, she does have kids with... um, your boy from 1917, Sam Mendes. They have kids. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, are they si- watching the Titanic? Oh, 100% because it's a movie she won an award for, right? Mm, that's, mm, that's weird, though. Like, I don't know if I want to. I mean, I definitely wouldn't want to watch that movie. But, oh, because she's nude in it. I forgot about Paint Me Like a yeah, French Girl so or Draw Me Like One of Your French have, Girls. You don't even have to Google. Even just like the, the stuff in songs. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't know, like J- any J-Lo music video, right? Like, it's pretty aggressive. Like, you, you, you can't escape that. Well, also, if you're J-Lo's daughter, you've seen her perform before, and she's on Super Bowl shaking her ass anyway, so what does it matter? You're already a part of that. But see, in, to circle back quickly to the halftime show, 
I read a lot about it, and I think having her daughter come out, there was symbolism, and then, you know, they closed it talking about their heritage. There was a lot of hidden meaning behind all of that, if you believe what the Internet says. And symbolism I, for what? Well, not to get political, but I think there was a lot. Oh, uh, yeah. yes, yes. There was yeah. a lot being well, said yeah. about okay. children and cages yeah. and politics, yeah. Yeah. and obviously yeah. she yeah. wanted to talk yeah. about her heritage with the flag and all of these things. Now, listen, I don't know if that's true or not. That's what the, the Internet said. But I get that that you want to share this moment with your daughter or you want to make a statement. But I also feel like you have to understand the flow of the show, people, okay? You can't just be like, high octane, high octane, high octane, let's slow it down. Boom, I'm shaking my ass again. There needs to be a certain flow to it. And you feel like there wasn't? I just felt like it was out of left field. It was just, don't, oh, I'm don't jamming, I'm say, jamming. Like, if your playlist needs high and highs and lows, like, you know, I, which I think is definitely true. So maybe that was their version of a good playlist. But I think the Super Bowl halftime performance is different than a playlist. <laughs> it should just be all high. <laughs> I mean, you are trying to deliver a bang, memorable moment. And it's just like, okay, slow it down. Listen, I thought her daughter had great stage presence. I thought she had a great voice. I thought she did a very good job. But it just it felt misplaced to me. That's all. I wasn't angry about it. I was just a little confused. Just a little confused. Is that is that Mark Anthony's kid? Yes. They have twins okay. together. Max and okay. Emmy. Interesting. And okay. A-Rod has two what daughters. They have a blended family. I follow them both on Instagram. Interesting. I wonder what he was thinking. I think he was thinking, who, Mark Anthony? Yeah. I think he was thinking, wow, my ex is very hot. Well, he's probably doing all right, though, right? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he's not, like, you know, it hasn't fallen on hard times. Maybe he has. I don't know. I haven't really kept up with Mark Anthony's <laughs> career son since, like, 2006. You're like, you know what? Let me just scan the Mark Anthony database. He's doing all right. He is doing all right. Okay, well, speaking of him and watching J-Lo, I'm watching J-Lo, and the whole time, and Shakira, too, for that matter, the entire time I'm thinking, what do you do to look like this in your 50s? If she came out with a TB12-like program, I would follow it, no questions asked. If she was like, rub this cream all over your body three times a day, eat only asparagus for 12 days, whatever she told me to do, I would do it, blindly. Yeah, but here's the thing, and it's the same thing with TB12, so this isn't like some sort of sexist thing, because I'm 100% sure that, well, A-Rod, you throw A-Rod in there too. A-Rod, J-Lo, Tom Brady, that shit ain't natural. So, like, that's, <laughs> none of that is, you can talk about how you eat avocado ice cream and you don't eat strawberries or whatever the hell you do, but that's just not natural. And again, I don't have a problem with that, but this idea that, oh, she's just, de- you know, defying the aging process. Well, yes, because she's super fucking rich and she's able to probably do a ton of things that the average person's not going to be able to do. In the same way that Jane Fonda, who's like a thousand, still somehow <laughs> looks good, because she's Jane fucking Fonda. She has a ton of money, and I'm sure she has the best care to keep up with her her look, and that's good. I'm, I'm not even knocking you for it, but, like, I don't understand why people are surprised about this. It's not that confusing. Like, Tom Brady is able to play because Tom Brady has probably done some version of PED that has allowed him his body to, like, reverse age. So while I think, yes, when you look at it, it's, like, it's incredible. But it's easily explainable to me. Like I just, I'm just not in awe of like, oh my gosh, what great genes. Maybe she does have great genes too, and that has something to do with it. But I would venture to guess that the main reason that she looks unbelievable is because she has a shit ton of money. Which is definitely plausible, and that's part of the reason. But I, I guess I just assume that most people as they age and they get work done or they're doing something to themselves, they're going to end up looking like Joan Rivers, RIP. But mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I just yep. Some it, are good, some are bad. Yep. Jennifer Aniston just yesterday dropped photos from an article she did for Interview Magazine, and she looks unbelievable. 
She looks exactly like she did 20 years ago. Probably even better. And that's the she thing. She looks better. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think she looks better. I think she looks better. I think J-Lo looks better. And that's my thing is clearly you're doing something, but it's not altering your appearance to make you look younger. Like you look at some of these famous people and they're getting Botox or they're getting lip fillers or whatever, and they look like a different version of themselves. Yes, you look younger, but you still don't look like yourself. Whereas I'm looking at Jennifer Aniston and Shakira and JLo, and you not only still look like yourself, you look better. What are you doing? Yeah, some people do it better than others. But again, I'll go back to, you know, like the, I guess it would be a, a new age proverb of like, you're not ugly, you're just poor. Like that is 100% true. Like people who are rich are just genuinely better looking. Like that's the way it is because they have more money to spend on their upkeep and you know, making themselves look good. That's just the way it is. And I mean, JLo is fucking loaded. So, and, and and obviously part of her image is looking really good. And it's just, I'm not, it's not that I'm not impressed by it. I'm just not surprised by it, I guess. You know, like uh, there's a difference. She obviously looks incredible. She's 50. It's insane. Like I think the Jane Fonda thing to me, which I brought up before is even more insane. Have you watched Grace and Frankie? uh, yeah. I mean, she's, what, she looks how old is she? she's, she's in, like her in her 80s. Mid-80s, she's in her 80s. Right? She she's looks better than I do. Like 50s. That's insane. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I just feel like this is not, it's very easily explainable. Okay. And I don't even hold it against anyone. It just is what it is. Oh, I'm not holding it against them. I'm like, tell me your secrets. No, I'm, it, ju- I'm just saying like, in case anybody thinks I'm like being a hater, I'm not being a hater. I oh, just, no. like, it just is what it is. I've always said this to Maddie. I'm like, I will never be against anyone who wants to get plastic surgery. If that makes you feel better and you, your self-esteem is boosted, if you, you know, I mean, obviously some people do it more tastefully than others, but if that makes you feel better, who am I to tell you not to go ahead? But see, I want answers. I want names. I want the doctors. I, <laughs> well, I want the procedures. <laughs> like, how many cc's of Botox are we talking? What peels are we talking? You're obviously hydrating a lot. How much water are we drinking? Are you putting supplements in there? I need to know. Has her face moved in a decade, though? And that's what I was saying, like, joking with you, half, like, kind of half-heartedly about, like, her, like, not showing any sort of emotion. I feel like she always has the same face on. Maybe that's the reason why. I don't think I've seen an expression from J-Lo in a long time. Oh, see, I see her very joyful with A-Rod. She's smiling. And that's the thing, too, is I think some of these women, as they get older, they overdo it. And so their faces become frozen. And they can only smize and kind of, like, half smirk because they can't move their face to maintain it's a wrinkle-free appearance, whereas J-Lo is singing, she's smiling, and her face seems natural. It seems natural. Well, she's got that good, good shit, I tell you. I like, that's what, she's got, I mean, the reason that it's not accessible to probably everybody else is because she's freaking J-Lo. It's very cut and dry to me. Like, it just makes total sense, and I'm not in shock of it. Like, it's, again, not that it's not impressive, but... I mean, she's worth how much? And then here's the thing, too. A-Rod probably does it all, too. You look at A-Rod, A-Rod's face doesn't move either. If you look at young A-Rod to A-Rod now, he's clearly had work done. I mean, his teeth are different. His face is different. Listen, say what you want about A-Rod. Young A-Rod was hot, okay? He was a babe. Uh, he was, yeah, I would agree. And, I but would his, agree. His face looks different comparatively. Like, you can it's tell. Like bigger, but that's probably because of the steroids, if we're being honest. But right? even I mean, his teeth are different. Like, you can tell that he looks different. Whereas with J-Lo, I'm like, hey. My you know, God. teeth are important. So if you want to go and get your teeth done, that's a great thing to do. Good for you. Do your okay. thing. Well, I have to tell you, I was watching last night. I couldn't sleep. And so I was watching Shaws of Sunset on Bravo. And one of the characters, Nima, got his teeth done. He got veneers done. And one of the other characters was like, I can't see anything at this party other than those blinding chiclets coming towards me. Yeah. 
And so I feel like, sure, get your teeth done, but do it like Ben Affleck did in Armageddon. See, that's the risk you take with this work, Steve. You get it done and you never know, am I going to look like Joan Rivers or am I going to look like J-Lo? But here's the thing. You can't be looking for perfection. I would say that natural beauty and, you know, aesthetics is not perfection, right? So if, if things are too perfect, then you start looking like a Barbie doll. Then you're like weird and odd, you know? That's where people cross the line. Even the most attractive, naturally attractive people in the world, they have flaws. But that's kind of part of what makes them attractive too, right? Mm, no, I see no flaws on JLo. Well, No flaws detected. I'm going to no comment on that one then because... I don't know. I've, never, I've just never been into J-Lo. I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. But I do think, like, there are people that they look to fix every little imperfection, and then they end up looking not real. And then they end up looking worse than they did in the first place Agreed. because they were worried about their imperfections that actually made them attractive in the first place. Agree. Agree. Damn. Well, anyway, whatever she's doing, tell me. Tell me. I will pay for it. I will pay good money. Michelle, I know you do well. You're very successful. No, not I, that I successful. Don't. There's I can't like afford seven it. people on earth that might be able to afford that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People always talk about different barometers of success. You know, for some people, it's like, I have a boat or I have a second house or I could send my kids to college. Whatever it is monetarily that you, makes you define yourself as successful. For me, I will not stop until I reach, can I afford JLo's face cream? Whatever it is. <laughs> I will work seven jobs to afford JLo's face cream. Hey, whatever, whatever floats your boat, you do your thing. Okay, so do you feel like if they're getting work done, though, that they're cheating at all? It's hard for me to say. Yes, in some ways, but then, like, there are probably people that, even the most natural of looking people that I think are, are, are very attractive, that I probably don't even know the work that they've had done. So it's hard for me to tell. Like, I'm trying to think of a specific example. Like, I, it's hard for me to think. We always think of the people that are, like, wildly off the spectrum, right, where it's like, how could they possibly look this good? Whereas I think that there are other people that have had marginal things done and maybe they, they're aging a little bit better and you're saying, oh, they look more natural. But in reality, they're probably not supernatural. So, again, I don't have any problem. If you want to do whatever you want to do that makes you happy, if it's shooting your face up with Botox so it can't move anymore mm-hmm. or if it's just, you know, a quick little touch up here and there. Like, I just don't have any issues with that. I'm never going to knock you for that. So, no, yeah. I don't feel like it's cheating. You do you. I guess I'm asking because I am so sensitive to cheating recently. Nothing, and I literally mean nothing, has infuriated me more in, I don't maybe months, if not years, than the way the Astros have handled this cheating <laughs> scandal. And it enraged me. I went bananas on the radio today because I just think they are so dumb and disrespectful, and I cannot believe that someone is getting paid to be their PR consultant. So I just wanted to know where you stood on cheating, okay, whether it's in your face or whether it's in the game of baseball, Steve. The thing about cheating, I guess, is always like who's getting hurt, right? Because if it's one of those victimless crime things, then I'm like, I don't know, whatever it is, what it is. Whereas clearly the Astros thing is not, right? They won and other people lost. People have not won World Series. People have been fired or whatever. You know, there's always repercussions for when something happens. So I guess J-Lo still looking good doesn't really, I mean, how much does that really impact other people, right? She was already famous. Now she's just maintaining her status quo, I guess. Whereas mm-hmm. I think like the Astros winning the World Series by cheating, which who knows? Like, I mean, I don't even see, see, here's the thing. I didn't listen to the press conference. You know me, I'm not a huge baseball person, but I know what happened, right? So they were doing the filming stuff and they would, they would tap on a garbage can. Clearly that helped them win at some point. Now maybe you could argue maybe they would have won otherwise, but it doesn't matter because they, they did cheat and they still won. So there's always going to be that, that asterisk there. I don't know the PR thing. Like my thing is like, what are they supposed to say? They got caught. 
and you tell me if I'm wrong because I, you followed it more than I have. Mm-hmm. Because I saw these people on Twitter being like, you guys are assholes. How dare you, cheaters. And everyone's going at them. And I get it. Everyone's mad. But what are they supposed to say? Are bad? Are they supposed to give up the World Series title? I think it's weird that Rob Manfred hasn't really done anything right at all, the commissioner of baseball. It's kind of on him to – because the Astros themselves, they're not going to police themselves. Like, they don't want to take away their World Series title. So I just feel like there's nothing that – is there anything that they're going to say that's going to make you feel better? Yes. Maybe consistent accountability. This is not difficult. This is why it enrages me so much. Okay, so what you did was clearly wrong. If it didn't help you win, you wouldn't have been doing it for years. Okay, you wouldn't have been doing it with the sophistication that you were. Clearly, it impacted your results on the field and it helped you win. And that's why you kept doing it. To me, PR is pretty easy, and transparency in the wake of a scandal is the, is your best option. And these people have had weeks to think about what they wanted to say about this. And then they get up there, and they're like hem-hawing back and forth. They're saying, this didn't impact the game. We won the World Series. I don't really know what we're apologizing for, but this and that. You have freaking Alex Bregman up there reading this stupid statement with zero emotion or remorse. It's just like, what is wrong with you people? Here's the playbook. Here's all you need. You go up there. The commissioner put out their report. They found that we were cheating. We apologize. What we did was wrong. We're ashamed that we did it. We understand a lot of people in the game of baseball and fans were impacted by this, both financially and emotionally, and we regret doing it. And here's what I can tell you. I promise you this will never happen in the Houston Astros organization ever again. Period. End of story. That's all you have to say. You don't have to... But then that opens up the door for them to be like, well, then take away the World Series title. Obviously, they don't want that to happen. And here's the other thing. I have actually two things that I want to ask you about, because, again, you know better than this than I do, but these are just me as an idiot asking questions who doesn't watch baseball. <laughs> One, I would say, are we sure they're the only ones doing it? Is everybody else's closet clean? Because I know this is, these are those classic cases where everyone wants to get on their soapbox and tell everyone how much better they are and how self-righteous they are and how they would never do this. But I have a hard time believing that this is some sort of isolated case in the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. I, I think people cheat in every single sport. That's why I was never that mad at the Patriots for the Spygate thing. Because I just, I just feel like teams figure that the teams do that all the time. Now, I don't to, to varying degrees. I don't know. Maybe the Astros took it to another step, but I, there's cheating that goes on in every single sport. It will always happen as long as there is all the money and the glory on the line. People are going to always look to find an edge. So I just want to make sure everyone else's closet is clean before we start yelling at how terrible the Astros are just because they got caught. Which leads me to my second point of I don't really understand how this came out. So the one guy who was a former Astros pitcher just straight up told on them? Mike Fires, yeah. What was his reason for doing that? Because, like, isn't this what Jess Mendoza said and she got all in trouble? And maybe if she did, like, I'm just piggybacking off of her take. But are we cool with him just, like, snitching on his former team? Yeah, that's what she said, and she did get a lot of pushback from it. And, yeah, I am cool with him snitching because, you know what, at some point stuff is going to come out. And, listen, I'm not saying it was a total integrity move to snitch on your teammates, but I also think when you read more about this, it seems like there was some pushback from people internally in the Astros. You know, you hear stories of A.J. Hinch breaking TV monitors because he wanted to stop this, and it wasn't stopping. So I wonder if at some point you as a player, your voice is getting drowned out by all the success you're having as a result of cheating, and you're just like, you know what, I left i don't have to deal with these people anymore these my teammates forget it i'm blowing the whistle all right but again i guarantee you everyone is going to be like well if i was in that locker room i would have done something about it i'm not saying that 100 percent of people wouldn't have but i would say it's close well above 90 percent of people that would talk a big talk 
And then when they're on the way to their winning their, to winning a World Series, they're not going to sit here and blow the whistle on their team when they know they have a chance to win. So I'm not going to sit here and blame some of these players for not saying anything, even if they didn't agree with it, because that's just that happens in every single walk of life. And as much as people want to sit here and say that they would do it differently, you don't know how you would act and you, how you would react until you were in those to someone's shoes. Now, that, I do think that is interesting because AJ Hinch got fired, right? He yeah. and the GM got fired. Yeah, and he was Definitely and he not. actually didn't like it. So who was the one that was driving this? So if you read this, well, there's a lot of things I want to touch on there. First of all, I think you're right. Peer pressure is a bitch. And I think especially in a locker room or a clubhouse environment, veteran presence holds a lot of weight. So if you're a young player and you're not down with this, but you have the Carlos Beltrons of the world being the ringleader here, your voice and your opinion certainly doesn't matter as much. And if you're a young player and you're fighting for your spot and you're just pumped to be in the majors and not riding the bus down in the minors anymore, then yeah, I would keep quiet too. To me, it's not even what they did was wrong. Yes. And no, this doesn't just apply to the Astros. Obviously there's a punishment coming down for the Red Sox. They fired Alex Cora. Obviously the Mets removed Carlos Beltran, who was involved in this. And he was a consultant to the Yankees. I mean, you're right. I think we've seen baseball players come out and admonish this, but a lot of them aren't being as aggressive as they might because who knows what other teams are doing. I think you're totally yeah, right I, with that. Yeah. But I also think if I'm on the Dodgers and for instance, Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw is one of the great pitchers we'll ever see. But what is the narrative surrounding him? Choke in the postseason. Choke in the postseason. And listen, his series versus the Astros isn't just an isolated instance. The, Card- exactly, yeah. the Cardinals have lit him up. He has gotten lit up by a lot of people. But guess what? If the Astros weren't cheating and the Dodgers won that World Series, if Clayton Kershaw wins once, that conversation about him not being able to get it done in the postseason is certainly lesser, mm. right? So if you're yeah, somebody yeah. like him, you're like, you not only robbed me of being a champion, now I have to live with this stain all my life because of you? I'd be irate. And so in lies the problem of PEDs too, right? When it was like the guys that were clean in the late 90s, early 2000s are sitting here going, well, I'm better than this guy, but he's doing PEDs, so I got to do PEDs too if I just want to keep up. Like, right. I understand how that's a problem, and I understand, because I forget, I, I did hear some guy, it was a pitcher, I think, on the Indians, right? Who, oh, uh Trevor Bauer. Who just kind of went off about, yeah, and I, and I, he was, I think he was 100% right. And again, I'm not condoning this. I just feel like the shitty part about it was, and this relates to the Patriots, too, what's annoying is they probably didn't have to do this, too, which sucks, right? Because they were already nasty. Mm, so The Patriots, they were... Listen, the Rams had a bad game plan in that Super Bowl. They should have given it to Marshall Falk more. But that was the greatest show on turf. They were primed to be a dynasty. Okay. And okay. The, the Patriots were massive underdogs. And let me tell you, I don't care how bad the Rams game plan is, especially in a Super Bowl-type scenario, if you know the play calls, they're a lot easier to stop. Mm-hmm. All right, but I'm, I'm talking more in, like, general of, like, the Patriots over their run, right? The Patriots have just been better than everyone else. For a long time. Oh yeah, I'm and, not, I'm not saying they, that there. And there's been more than one cheating incident, right? So yes. not necessarily in that specific game, but like year in year out, the Patriots are better than people without having to cheat. You know, most years. And I think the Astros that year were awesome, right? I mean, they had a really great team. They probably could have won the World Series without doing this, which I think is maybe the most annoying part too. Like it's one thing if it's like a fringe team that knows they're not good and maybe they're trying to get the upper hand. It's still not as it still isn't great, but like I understand it more. And same thing with the guy doing PEDs who's like a career two fifty hitter but wants to 
stick around in the majors, so he's like, i got to do steroids to get better. I understand that. What sucks is you've got the best teams in the league doing this. But, again, I don't know because I just I have, I, and I have no proof of this, but I, just, I have a hard time believing this is an isolated incident. First of all, that World Series they won, they won seven games. You know, you're right down yeah. to the wire. So if mm-hmm. any ounce of you banging on a trash can because you know it's an off-speed pitch coming allows you to succeed – I just think it's insane that baseball isn't going after the players more. And I know it's a slippery slope. I get it because if you're... What would you want to see happen? I think they did their investigation and they were super thorough about this and they know how far reaching it is in baseball. And they're like, shit, if we're going to go... First of all, I think that they're cowards and they don't want to deal with the players union. They don't want to get tangled up in all this. But I also think they're like, if we're going to go after all of the Astros players and then this goes further in Boston or further in New York and yeah, we have to Boston. you know suspend our star players which is something baseball desperately needs it's going to be a problem so I think they're looking out for number one which is themselves but I think they need to point to the Astros and be like listen we're taking away your World Series it's an asterisk especially a sport that's so crazy about records I mean you're keeping PED guys out of the Hall of Fame and you're always talking about this and that when it comes to records but you're going to not take away their World Series championship? Like, that I don't get at all. I think they need to say, listen, we're wiping the World Series from the record. There's no champion that year. End of story. Give us your rings back. Give us the trophy back. You guys are not champions. You're cheaters. When's the last time that happened in sports, too? Was it like, I don't even, I'm trying, all Well, like sports. Reggie Bush Heisman was taken away. The Heisman, but not the title, right? right? Well, I guess they didn't win the title that year, but the Black Sox, right? I guess that would be, I don't know. Like, what else? In a team capacity? I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing something, and there's probably something up. I just can't think off the top of my head. Like, right. You know, you know me. I'm a huge soccer fan. Like, in Italy, in the what? This was probably the early 2000s. Juventus, which is, like, the best team in Italy, they got caught basically, like, paying off refs, right? And they got relegated. They got kicked out of the, the Serie A, and they had to work their way back up. What if we put the Astros in the minors? <laughs> yeah. I you mean, guys I'm, are you relegated to AAA, but the whole squad. I think we're both right in that. Like, I don't think... It's almost like I just watched the report with Adam Driver, and we'll get to movies in a little bit, which is basically about, like, torture techniques after 9-11. Oh, wow. And the more you get into this stuff, the more the bigger can of worms it opens up yeah and pandora's box gets bigger yeah like and you you doing more due diligence and doing more research actually is not going to help you out (laughs) you know yeah i i totally get what you're saying i guess to just put a bow on this i've just been so disgusted with the astros and their blatant disrespect in the wake of this show me you're ashamed show me that you regret cheating So I obviously live in St. Louis, Missouri, which is a baseball hotbed, okay? I wonder if there's a more passionate baseball fan base in America. We talked the other day about the potential playoff changes that got leaked, and we did the entire four hours on it, basically, because the demand from the fans was crazy. Tweets, text to the show, people calling in, everybody wanted to talk about it. And I wondered in February in any other market in America would baseball dominate for an entire day? just because of potential playoff changes. So I 
am in a place where I am inundated with people that care about baseball. They really care, and they are smart, smart baseball fans. So I think about Jim Crane and Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman getting up there and being so dismissive and looking at baseball fans and people that care about this sport and treating them like they're stupid and like they can say whatever they want and it's just going to get brushed under the rug and, oh, I have immunity from Major League Baseball. The players are immune. You can't touch me. Get out of here. I just, I want to open palms, smack them in the face. I'm just over it. And I also feel like I want whoever has been in charge of their PR to have to face questions too. You had weeks to prepare these people and this is the best you could do. This is the best you could do. Did you guys get in a think tank and say, okay, what's the smart thing to say? Yeah, yeah, let's do the opposite. Let's just wing it. Let's just wing it. This is also the organization, right, that, correct me if I'm wrong, they had that assistant GM yelling at that woman in the clubhouse or something, right? So they've got a... Clearly, they have a history of hiring really competent people. Exactly. Um, and I don't know a ton about that. I just remember hearing it. I, I, you know me. I wasn't even a baseball guy now. And I'm certainly – I wasn't a baseball guy before. I'm certainly not a baseball guy now. But I get, like, the fringes of these stories. And it does seem like the Astros have been in a lot of shit recently for a lot of – for all of the wrong reasons. And maybe they just need to clear house and just start this damn thing over. Yeah. Well, I mean, they kind of did that when they fired their GM and their manager and they're starting over. And they hired Dusty Baker, who I just love – which I was so annoyed by. I was like, damn it. I want to hate the Astros, but I just love Dusty Baker. Damn it. He was... People not like Dusty, though, or he's like the, the analytics people don't like Dusty, right? That's the deal. A lot of people don't, but he was um, on the other side of some really great Cardinals-Reds rivalries with Tony La Russa, and I miss that era of Cardinals baseball so much, so I always have a soft spot for Dusty, and a lot of people within baseball love Dusty Baker. They respect him, and I think that was a slam dunk hired by Houston, which annoys me because I wanted them to hire someone that I'm like, ugh, this guy's such a tool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but... Does it probably blow over, though? I mean, it seems like, for no. example, like the, the Brian Braun thing kind of blew over, right? Like, now it's like, whatever. I don't know. You no, know, I think that people was like the shittiest still thing think that's ever he happened. sucks. They're like, yeah, remember yeah, I mean, when you tried to sucks. ruin a guy's life? You're the worst. But, you know, that's like the Rosillo PR 101 thing where it's like, just kind of shut up and then it'll blow over. Like, maybe that's what they're, that's their PR tactic right now. Just like, all right, you know, we'll just not really say anything, not really talk about how we were bad. Just, you know, stay at the bare minimum and then people just forget about it in a couple of months. Well... I don't think people are going to forget about it because every ballpark that the Astros go in, they're going to get beaned by the opposing pitchers and they're going to get booed by the opposing fans for the entire uh, year. Being is... the old unwritten rules guy. Love baseball. Oh, my God. Yeah. Baseball guy is not going to let this go. Baseball guy would be the most upset about this. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. We heard from literally thousands of baseball guy here in St. Louis about the proposed changes for the playoffs. And let me tell you, baseball guy, not pleased, not pleased. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know much about the playoff thing, right? They're adding, they want to add more teams, right? Is that yeah, what they want to do? They want to expand. Actually, some, some of it I like and some of it I don't. They want to expand potentially to five to seven teams, which I think might dilute the quality of playoff baseball. And I also think would impact the trade deadline i think it would cause a lot of teams to not go out and be active and try to improve their team at the trade deadline because they'd be like we, we snuck in we're the seventh playoff team we're good we don't need to spend any money uh, but i do love the idea of teams being able to choose their opponents because to me there's strategy involved it could be kind I of think, i think that that hurts the good team right because then no matter who you pick, then they're going to be feel sl- that other teams going to feel slighted. So like, you, it's kind of like a no win situation. I actually think if I'm a good team, I don't want that. 
yeah, you're giving them bulletin board material because you picked yeah. them. But I, I also think, imagine the blowback from your fan base if you're like, okay, we choose the Red Sox. We think they suck. And then the Red Sox sweep you. Exactly. You have everything to lose. I actually don't think that I would like that. But and as a consumer, too, like, wouldn't you like it as a consumer, though, as a fan? Especially you, who's not baseball guy, who's a casual fan. Wouldn't you be more interested in watching oh, if you were like... a casual fan. Uh, I, <laughs> I am... I am <laughs> I am a, I haven't, you know, I mean, the, uh, literally the last baseball game I watched was when we were in Madison. It was what? Oh, that was that's like a Dod- right. There was a Dodgers game on. Oh, that you, was what? You know what that was? 17. That was the year that the, the dot. We watched the game when Kershaw closed it out to send the Dodgers to the World Series to face the cheating Astros. There we go. So that's the, listen, we, we've come full circle here. But here's the thing. Wow. And uh, I have no more to say on baseball. <laughs> Baseball's not broken. Like, baseball is. Baseball's the second most profitable sport behind the NFL. This idea, like, yeah, baseball's not super popular nationally, but, like, I just don't think that there's this massive problem with baseball that everybody thinks there is. I don't like baseball, but that doesn't mean I don't think that it's not healthy. It seems fine. I also think you don't like baseball because you grew up in a place that wasn't a baseball market. You know what I mean? I wonder how— Oh, no, I grew up in—I mean, I know you're going to sit here and say the Lou, but— I mean, Connecticut is like Red Sox Yankees territory. Like, this is baseball heaven here for people who like baseball. I mean, I grew up in it. I played baseball when I was growing up. I just have, I sort of like fell out of love with it. I Um, guess I just look at Connecticut as like a commuter state where they don't, they identify with one or the other. They don't identify with themselves. You know what I'm saying? I would argue that like Connecticut, even more than like New York or Boston, is more intense because you've got a mixture of the two and they're super passionate. Yeah. I'm telling you, Shelly, you didn't you did not experience the the Connecticut the way you should have, and you were right about the cutoff line. Probably Hartford is everybody north of that is is certainly Red Sox fans, and everybody's most people, you know, obviously New Haven and Fairfield County are, are Yankee fans. But there is like an intersection that is probably the most one of the most unique things in sports is the Red Sox Yankees, because it's not like you know the Patriots and Giants and Jets like isn't really a thing like yeah. the. Knicks and Celtics isn't really a thing. Like, but Red Sox Yankees, oh my God, we're like in the battleground. Like, we are basically, if Red Sox Yankees is World War II, like, we're France. Like, like you're the line the of demarcation. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> we are just in the shit. You know, now yeah. that you say that, I remember driving to Bristol and I would take the back way, you know, which way I'm talking about, where you would go through the neighborhoods yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. and I would see like, one house had a Yankees flag. One house would have a Red Sox flag. I, I would see the mixture of the yeah. two and it would be on the same street. But I guess I just. When I think about Yankees fans, I think about people from New York. I don't, like this is our yeah, team. I get that. So I feel like Connecticut, while you're, and, and listen, I totally get what you're saying about you guys being France. But by the way, that's the greatest analogy I've ever had. I want to pat myself on the back for that. Honestly, that was really good, Steve. Is it because you watched 1917, so you're into war analogies now? I mean, I'm all into. I'm always into war analogies because I like history, uh, and we can get into it because World War One is the most underrated war of all time. But Why do you say that? There. Because everyone, when they think of world wars, obviously thinks of two first because of Hitler and that whole deal. But World War One was way, way more brutal and interesting. There have been very few movies or things in pop culture that sort of try to reenact or depict World War One. It's always World War Two. It's always the Nazis, right? Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of really interesting things about World War One and the time period and all that stuff. And that's why I was so pumped about 1917. 
because it's similar, but like all in, in, in a way, totally, totally different. So we'll get to we'll get to 1917 in a second. But yes, I uh, I think that is I'm very proud of that analogy. So wh- hold on, I I really want to circle back here to World War One. In your opinion, Steve, what is an interesting storyline from World War One that people don't give enough shine to? The trenches and how fucking ridiculous they were. Now, if you are really a history buff, I recently and I watched this before 1917, and you don't have to, but it is, but it just gives you a nice depiction of. And I think 1917 did a really good job of depicting this, but there are actual photos. There's a documentary by Peter Jackson who did the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Actually, he did both of the trilogies. Who is obviously a phenomenal director. He did a documentary called uh, I think it's called what is it? That they shall not grow old, and it's essentially just an incredible. It's a look at World War One, but it's told through the voices of people that served in World War One, and then there are like pictures and some video, and they do an incredible job of showcasing like how brutal the trenches were and how shitty they were. And I always say this about World War One. I, I think, and especially, I would say like you could say this about World War One and Two, Vietnam, and maybe it even stretches further back to the Civil War, but probably not. Probably starting with World War One, I. I would say that those are probably the most brutal wars because. You have weaponry that is able to inflict a lot of damage, but it's also still a very personal battle because you're still fighting a lot of hand-to-hand combat, like one-on-one things in fields, whereas, like, nowadays a lot of things are done with drones and, like, you know, snipers from so far away. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, back in, like, the Middle Ages or even up to the Civil War, like, the, there weren't machine guns, right? Like, you couldn't just take out people. Like, if you ever seen the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan on the beaches of Normandy, it's still a very personal battle. People are fighting in a field, but there's maximum damage done. That was like a unique period in history where you had both of those things colliding with each other. So that's why I think those two wars in particular are probably the most brutal of all time. I mean, Vietnam is brutal mostly because of just the terrain and how shitty it was to be in Vietnam. But if we're just talking like hand-to-hand combat and the weapons that you're given and the mixture of the two and how absolutely brutal they are, those two I don't think anything competes with. But yeah, feel free to disagree with me. But that's Rudy's history lesson for the day. I know I'm probably just boring the shit out of people. That was, I have never heard you go off on such a passionate tangent as you just did about World War One. Yeah, I love that shit. I mean, I, I look back and I'm just like so, I read and I watch as many things as I can about that and about that time period because like they call it the greatest generation for probably a reason. Like the idea that like, you would ask a bunch of people to go fight in a war now and have it, there be a draft and like you're going at 17, 18. Like a lot of these kids do lied about their age so they can go. I just have the utmost respect, and it's just it's just a, a fascinating period in history of, of, of human history, and I I can't I literally cannot get enough of it, both fictional and well, both fiction and nonfiction. Can you imagine if there was a draft now? Oh my God! Hardly anyone would volunteer to go. People be like, I think I have a, I have a bum well, foot. I have a bum wheel. I can't I'll, go. I'll say this: it's different now because I feel like a lot of the wars that we've and I'm not trying to be political here, but a lot of the wars that we have had recently have not been. I think a lot of people would deem them not necessary or like they're not, it's not a matter of like life or death. Sure. Whereas like back then, I mean, shit, like the Nazis were like trying to take over the world. Pearl Harbor got bombed. Now, I guess you could say 9 11, like yeah. they attacked our territory, but we were still didn't, that wasn't a nation. So it's hard. I do feel like if there was some, if say Russia decided to like invade us and whatever, I think there would be some sort of like national pride where people would sort of turn the tide on that and say, I have to fight for my freedom and my life and my country and my yeah. family. I think you're right. But, we're just not in a situation where we've, had, where we've had any wars like that since probably World War II. Yeah, you're totally so it's right. It's totally different. With 9-11, thing, when bad things happen, 
America galvanizes. It's one of the crazy things about our country that Mm -hmm. we can be at such odds, but certain things bring everyone together, and you do still have that sense of nation and that sense of pride. I mean, when 9-11 happened, if it was like, yeah, Spain did this, I can't, I'm sure everyone would have been like, sign me up, we're going to fuck up Spain. Well, people did sign up, too. I mean, they were like, look at Pat Tillman and like all these, I mean, he's just one example, but there are many examples of people that were like, like, we'll fight Al-Qaeda. stopping what I'm doing. I'm going to join the services because I feel, and I, and, you know, that's incredibly awesome and brave. So brave. But it's just different because it it was a world fucking war. Like, think about it. Like, I'm bummed out because I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard of this or seen it, but there's a, um, a show on Amazon called Man the High Castle, which is basically about if the Nazis had won World War II and- so basically, like everyone in America speaks German, and it's split like the country split like down the middle. So everyone does the Japanese section, which is like the West Coast, and the East Coast is the German section. And like, you know, obviously it's not real, but that was at stake in World War II, right? That very easily could have possibly happened. So th- we just haven't had a situation like that. So I do think if there was a situation like that, people would think about it differently. People would put a lot of their differences aside, and fight for what they believe is like you know saving their their livelihood and we just haven't necessarily had that recently so it's hard to explain but i will say this like i'd be a terrible i would be a terrible person in war i'm not resourceful i'm really interested in it but i would not be helpful in war. i have terrible navigation skills i am not good when it comes to like sleep deprivation i need meals i'd be a terrible person to go to war with oh i would be terrible but I'd too be a great scholar yeah, you would be you would be the one <laughs> writing about the wars. Hold on, quickly. As you were talking about, you know, Pat Tillman and the nine eleven situation, uh, you know what I want? I want a show like a reality show where we highlight those people. I don't want to see people wasted at the Jersey Shore anymore. I want to know about the guy that when nine eleven happened, he was like, you know what? I'm leaving my banking job. I'm going to serve my country. Yep. And what is your life like when you make that decision? Because those are the people that we should be celebrating and that should be making endorsement money. And I want to see in my commercials at the halftime of the Super Bowl. Those are the people we should talk more about that selflessly say, hey, I'm going to put my life on the line for your freedom. I want to hear more about those people. Yeah, and there are movies that sort of depict that, but not real-life stuff. I think it might be a little too real for people. I think that would probably be the issue. But maybe, but, we, um, maybe we need that dose of reality. Maybe. Like I think actual people like, reality. Though, I think people like, I mean, you know, I've watched Very Cavalry. I don't watch it anymore necessarily, but I've watched seasons and I've enjoyed it. I felt guilty enjoying it, but I have enjoyed it. But I think it's because it's stupid and it doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's like mindless. Whereas it's like if if you're gonna watch a, a show about real life guys and men and women putting their life on the line, that's some shit. I will say this: you should, if you haven't seen it. Make sure you watch Band of Brothers, too. Band of Brothers is fucking incredible. Okay, Came out so. in, what, 2000, 10-episode miniseries? You don't Band have to watch Brothers. The Pacific. The Pacific was kind of not as good. Band of Brothers. Saving Private uh, Ryan. Yeah. Never yeah, seen it. Saving Private Ryan's obviously great. I, I need to see Dunkirk, sure. right? Dunkirk is a non-traditional. Like a non-traditional war movie, but it is it is very great. You're like my dad, uh, okay? So my dad lives for history and stuff about world war one too i mean if you go to my house my dad's either watching sports like golf or the cardinals game in his green chair or he's locked into the history channel and so the other day my mom called me and she's like oh your dad and i it's a date night dad gets to pick and i was like well what are you guys doing and she goes we're going to get mexican food and we're seeing 1917 that's my dad's like dream night to get mexican food and to go see a war movie with my mom I mean, your dad and I should go on a date together because that's <laughs> I, my ideal date night would be 
Mexican food in 1917. Like, I'm pretty sure I've, I've seen it in 1917 twice. You've seen um, it twice? Yeah, you know, and I'm pissed, too, because I saw it. Maddie and I saw it, I think, opening weekend, and it was great. And then I wanted to go see it again in IMAX because I saw Dunkirk in IMAX, and it, like, changed my life. Whoa. And, but then I went with my friends, what, the last week, maybe? And they, it's not an IMAX anymore. Or you'd have to travel a long way to go. So I, I wasn't able to see an IMAX without pissed about. So I saw it regular twice. But I was so, I was so happy I saw it again. I don't want to give too many things away because the trailer is very vague and there's a lot more to it than than the trailer implies. But it can't really give anything away because it sort of would spoil everything. I would say this: it made me rethink my list of the greatest war films of all time. And I texted my friends, I'm like, I don't want to be prisoner in the moment, but I'm pretty. Sh- I don't think I've ever seen a better war movie in my life. I don't, and that includes Saving Private Ryan. And it's not only because of the story, which I know some people will be like, oh, there's no story. Well, there wasn't really much of a story in David Private Ryan either. I mean, it was just like, all right, they have to save this guy. And then it was their journey. It's, this is a very similar story to Saving Private Ryan. I basically call it British Saving Private Ryan because that's mm-hmm. what it is. But the way that they shoot it, the tension, the way that they depict the war itself in the trenches and the way that they sort of uh, depict the artillery, the way it's shot, like I mentioned, like it, we were talking about this off air, like it's it shot like it was one giant scene, like it was one giant take. Now it's not, but it was shot that way. So it's, it's a very continuous type thing. Like there's really never any breaks. And there's, and we were talking about the it, it, irony. I'll bring this full circle too. We were talking about like the, you know, a, a good playlist has highs and lows. Like this movie has highs, lows, highs, lows. And it like really plays with you that way. I was upset that it didn't win best picture. And I know, I know you haven't seen Parasite and no. I have, I just saw it. So I, it's on we'll my list for this weekend. We'll wait until you see it. Cause I do genuinely want to hear what you have to say about it. Cause you were someone who, whose opinion I would value highly on that. But I liked it. I didn't love Parasite. I feel like people loved Parasite because of the message, not necessarily the movie itself. Like I, 1917 was the best movie I've seen in several years. That includes wow. Dunkirk. It's probably the best movie I've seen since Interstellar. Now, I like movies like that, so it's yeah. hard for me. I, I'm sure people disagree with me, but you need to see Parasite. You need to see 1917, and we need to do a, like a post-post-Oscars uh, breakdown because uh, the only one I haven't seen yet is Jojo Rabbit, which I need to see as well. Yeah. We did, I did see Marriage Story, too, and I know you saw that. We'll yeah. talk about that, too. Okay, several things. Yeah, we, we need to talk about Marriage Story because I did see it, and it's a lot we need to talk about. So I... Uh, I want to see Parasite. I definitely want to see 1917. But when you say I loved Interstellar and it's the best movie I've seen since Interstellar, I try to watch Interstellar on an airplane because I know how much you love it and I fell asleep. You can't watch it on an airplane. I slept for two hours. It's not an airplane movie. It put me out. And it's just maybe there's more action while I was sleeping, but the beginning is so slow. It is so slow. I was just like, all right, where are we going? You're going to space? Like, we got the truck here? Like, what's going on? See, Interstellar was a miracle for me because if you were to, if you were to be like, wow, what, what three things would you want in a movie? I'd go Christopher Nolan, space. Matthew McConaughey. Those would probably be now. The only thing that I would say is I'd probably put Tom Hardy ahead of Matthew McConaughey, but Tom Hardy's already been in the Christopher Nolan movie. So, just that trio of space, Christopher Nolan, Matthew McConaughey—that is right in my freaking wheelhouse. You're sold. Right in my freaking wheelhouse. That's why the same thing with like Dunkirk. It's like Dunkirk is um, World War II, Christopher Nolan, Killian Murphy. Like, boom, three things that I am absolutely in love with. Like, Killian Murphy is a fucking. Is just a, a, the absolute man. So those movies, I knew I was going to love instantly. But then you get too high of expectations, right? Like, do I have, um, like, are my expectations of this movie going to be way too high? Where that when I see it, it's not going to live up to it. 
And Interstellar did live up to it, which is what's even more amazing to me about it. And I feel the same way about 1917. See, that's how I felt about Manchester by the Sea. Remember, that was my big debate with Adnan about <laughs> that movie. movie. What'd you say? Priscilla's favorite movie. That's not his favorite I, movie, is it? I actually have. He loves that movie. Well, I know we had a debate about it, but I didn't know if it was his favorite movie. But I don't know if it's his favorite, but he loves that movie. I know and we got a massive debate about it. it so. Okay, you have to see it. So here's my, here's my thing about Manchester by the Sea. Saw it in theaters. Walked to everyone was talking about. Oh, Manchester by the Sea. I walked away being like, all right, good. It was a good movie, right? I saw Denzel Washington in Fences. I was like, oh, holy shit. Denzel needs to win an Oscar for that. He was unbelievable. I was emotionally locked in. It was incredible. When Denzel did not win the Oscar and Casey Affleck won the Oscar, for me, I'm like, you played a morose guy from New England, kind of skulking around. That is not a far depiction from who you are. I don't think you should win an Oscar for playing yourself, essentially. Yeah. And I know, listen. It was a fine movie. Did I think he d- deserved the Oscar? No. Did I think Michelle Williams' Boston accent was a little suspect? Yes. So here's the thing, and this is why movies are so great, is that people can love and hate very different things. You, when we were talking about 1917, you're like, this is right up your alley. Like, of course you would like this. And you're right. Like, of course I would love this movie. Of course I would love Interstellar. Of course I would love Dunkirk. Like, I'm fired up for the new Christopher Nolan movie, uh, Tenet, which is like a, like a weird time travel-y type Christopher Nolan deal. Those are the kind of things I love. Of course you are. So that's what's interesting about movies, right? Is that like certain people can can love. Like I loved Interstellar because I liked that it was eerily slow and kind of like built and built and built and built into this like massive dramatic masterpiece, right? And you're like, eh, I don't know, it's kind of slow. I didn't really catch my attention at the beginning. We can just see it two totally different ways. Like I understand what you're saying, and we like it and dislike it for the exact same reasons. Sit back, relax. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. It's time for a review on the Small Talk Podcast with Michelle Smallman. Brought to you by Land Rover St. Louis. That sounder means one thing. It is time for a review. If you haven't already, head to Apple Podcasts, search for Small Talk. You can find it. It's a black box with white writing. Click on it, subscribe to it, rate it, and leave a review, preferably five stars. Before we get to the review, Anthony is here. Anthony, what's up? That was really smooth. What's up? Thank you. Just one fatal swoosh. Wow, like a samurai. It's not like you needed three takes or anything. Um, Anthony, question for you. Okay, uh uh-oh. Do you like boxing? Uh, yes. Featherweight, the small guys, it's funnier. Okay. So I grew up watching boxing. It was always such a big event, you know, the Mike Tyson event or Holyfield situations. So the Missouri Athletic Club has a great boxing event that they do every year. And I got invited to it next week. And essentially, it's a big ring and then all of these tables around it and you get to watch live boxing. And I'm Yes, I would love to go. Thank you so much. <laughs> But I'm super excited about it because I've never been to a boxing event before, and it's one of those things that's been on my sports bucket list to see boxing live. You ever seen a, a live cauliflower ear? You know what I have? I have okay. a lot of guy friends from high school that were wrestlers, and that is That's hot. A I have very... a lot of guy friends from high school, too. <laughs> it's very... yeah, it's so gnarly to see in person, though. It's like the, one of the grossest things you'd ever see close up is a cauliflower ear. Yeah, my guy friends that were wrestlers, it's unfortunate. The cauliflower ear is unfortunate. And I don't think it goes away, right? Like, you can drain it, but I don't think it... I have no idea. It just scares scares me. That's all. I have no idea. Yeah. But it's exciting, though. First live (laughs) boxing event. Yeah. First live boxing event. I'm going to come back with some observations from boxing, IRL, in real life. But I wonder what it's going to be like to be in person and watch someone potentially get knocked out. 
I'm thinking when you're consuming it on TV, there's that barrier there. You can cringe and say, ooh, whatever. But to watch it happen live and then see blood going everywhere. No commercial breaks. No commercial breaks for that pain. So it should be interesting. I'm excited about it. Very, uh, very, uh, what do you call it? Gladiator-ish. Yes. Super gladiator-ish, which, you know, is totally my aesthetic. Totally your thing. (laughs) Totally my thing. Okay, let's get to the review. Here's the title, Maddie Cerruti, A-plus content. Appreciate that nod to the pod. Five stars. I was so excited to hear Maddie on the show. I'm about to listen to it a third time because I always do, and I always enjoy hearing something I missed before. Knowing that Maddie and Michelle have become such good friends, it couldn't help but be fun, and it was. Maddie and Michelle are like twins. They even sound alike and talk alike. I'm sure there's some truth to that. After hearing Cerruti the Great all this time, Don't get a big head, Steve, from that comment. I knew Maddie would be exceptional, and she was. Steve always says the sweetest and kindest things about his wife. Michelle brings out all the best in her guests. The friendship between Michelle and Steve is really genuine. They are like siblings who are best friends. It's been terrific seeing them bond through Rosillo and Canal. Rosillo show, Small Talk with Freeze Pops, and now Michelle flying solo. They have genuine respect for each other. When the trio split up, I was bummed out big time. Then Saruti made a guest appearance, and it was just like old times. Love them to peace. This is the best podcast anywhere. Wow. lot to digest there. First of all, thank you for all the kind words. I love the comment that Steve and I are like siblings who are best friends because I wonder what that dynamic looks like. Is Steve the older brother who's cool and I'm the younger, annoying sister tagging along? Or am I the older sister and he's desperately trying to holler at my friends? Are we twins who have a lot of conflict? I don't know. Something to marinate on. Anyway, thank you for that review. One more time. If you haven't already, please head to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. Steve and I will be back in action again next week. But until then, keep it real. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.